My name is Patrick. I'm one of the volunteers here at Adventure, and I get to speak every once in a while. Um, and I really enjoy when I get that opportunity. Um, right now, we're in this series uh, going through, talking about starting over, living life beyond regrets. And as I was thinking about that idea, I, I was like, you know what? If I could start over, what would I do differently? You ever have that thought? Ever, ever sit down and just ponder you know, like where you would make changes in your life? What, what things you would do differently? What, what things you would uh, remove? What, what things you would allow and add? And, and I was thinking about that. You know, what would I do differently in my life? And I've got a good life. I, I don't want you to, to get me wrong. I, I love, I've got a great wife and, and my kids are great, especially today because they're at grandma's house. And um, that's awesome because my wife's like, this is the best Mother's Day ever. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I got a great life, but there's some things that you just want to go back and redo. Some things you just want to go back and start over with. And uh, I can think of lots of things that are negative that I'd love to get rid of, but I feel like those kind of make me who I am. So I want to talk about something that I want to add. Like if I could go back and start over, I would add this to my life. And that is the ability to be artistic. Um, I look at people that can draw and paint and sculpt and do all these things, and, and I just... I'm jealous and envious of them. Uh, I get on Twitch and I will watch people as they're like, hey, I'm just going to do a speed paint. And they're three minutes later and there's this beautiful image that I could never accomplish in you know, 30 years of my life. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I just don't have it in me. I, I love to doodle. I love to draw. I love to, to try and figure stuff out. And um, it always just looks awkward. It always just looks weird. Um, but years ago, I found something that I could actually accomplish. Um, I don't think it was through any fault of my own or any uh, prowess of my own. It was just I had a good teacher. Um, let me show you a, a clip of this teacher that I found that taught me just a little bit of how to be artistic. Check this video out. Hi. I'm glad you could join me today. You sort of caught me fiddling around here a little bit. This being the last show of this series... I thought maybe, well, I'll tell you what, i tell you what. I get so many cards and letters from people all over the country saying, Bob, what should I do if I'm in the middle of a painting and I decide I don't like it or, God forbid, it goes sour? Well, I don't like to start off with something you haven't already done, so let me show you what you can do at home if you're not happy with a painting and if, if it's not going just the way you want it. You know, over and over again I say, we don't make mistakes. We have happy accidents. So today, let's have a happy accident and see what we can make out of it. And it was that idea of a happy accident that got me through this. And, and I brought one with, with me today. Look at that, guys. See what happy accidents can accomplish when you, when you follow through. Uh, I just did exactly what he told me to. It doesn't really look a lot like his did, but it's pretty. We hang it up on the house, in the house, and it, it's nice. I'm going to hang it up here so everybody can see it. Right there. There you go. If it's crooked, I'm sorry. If you've got OCD, it'll, you'll live, I promise. Um, I don't have to see it, so, so sorry. But happy accidents, isn't that a great idea? It was happy accidents that, that got me through this. It was using the palette knife and using the brushes and putting in the happy little trees and all those things that Bob Ross does. I was able to accomplish this even though I've got other paintings that actually tried to get me to bring today and I was like no no we don't want to do that uh because I, I just don't have any idea of it but happy accidents you know what if life was like a Bob Ross painting 
And, and we could turn all of our regrets, all of our sorrows, all of our pain into happy accidents and, and make something beautiful with them. Uh, I thought about that, and I, I dug into that idea a little bit, and I, I found out that there are actually some really big, giant accidents, some big mistakes that have happened that have changed the world as we know it. Uh, I want to share a couple of those with you. Um, I love this one. In 1953, up in Saratoga Falls, New York, there was a chef at a restaurant by the name of George Crumb that was getting grief from one of his patrons. Uh, He had been making some French fried potatoes, and the patron said, it's soggy, and he kept sending the potatoes back. And he'd have to recook them, and they'd get out there, and he'd be like, they're soggy. After the third or fourth time, George got so frustrated and upset, he said, I'm going to show this punk a lesson. And he pulled out his knife, and he cut the thinnest potatoes he could possibly cut. And he threw them in the fryer, and he fried them up as crisp as he could get them. And he threw them in some salt and sent them out there, and he stood at the window and looked. Oh, this guy's going to be so mad. It's going to be. And the dude puts the one in his mouth, and it's like, oh, that's so good. It backfired on him, but you know what? That's all right. Happy little accident. The potato chip was born. And from now on, we all have those things, and we love them. It's a happy thing. Or, or take Spencer Silver, guy that was working for the 3M Corporation, whose job, his role, his, his thing that he was supposed to do was create a new super glue for aviation purposes. He tried his best, and what he invented was a glue that wasn't very sticky but it could be used over and over again. And he's kind of put that on the back burner. Like, I don't know what I can do with this. It's not serving my purposes. A couple of years go by, and one of his buddies, uh, the foreman at the factory, is walking around, and he's talking to him. And he's like, man, Spencer, my bookmarks keep falling out of my book because I keep holding it by the wrong end, and that's just frustrating. Spencer said, oh, I know what to do. And so he got some of his glue and put on that piece of paper, stuck it in his book, and it didn't fall out anymore. And the Post-it note was born. A happy little accident. Or we can talk about my wife's favorite accident, and uh, that's not me, so you know. Uh, although that would be a great, great story. Anyway, uh, my wife's favorite accident, there was a lady named Ruth that was working at an inn on a little toll road up north. She was making her famous chocolate cookies, but had run out of baker's chocolate. So she grabbed the bar of semi-sweet chocolate, Nestle's chocolate off the shelf, and chopped it up into little bits, threw it in the dough, and thought, ah, it'll melt into it. It'll be a chocolate cookie. Everybody will be happy. But, of course, when she pulled it out of the oven, that's not what it looked like at all. There were these floating chocolate chips in her cookie. And she tasted it, and the chocolate chip cookie was born. She ended up being able to sell her recipe to Nestle for a lifetime supply of chocolate, which I think is probably way less than that was deserved. But that was a a very, very happy little accident. But let's be fair. Accidents that happen in the kitchen, mistakes that happen in the lab are one thing, but what about real life? What about the mistakes that happen there, the accidents that happen in the real world? Because if you're like me, it's, it's not that your mistakes are always an accident. Sometimes you do it on purpose. You make that bad choice. You know exactly what's going on, exactly what's going through your head. You know what choice you're making, and you're like, I'm still going to do this. I know that I shouldn't do this thing, but it looks like it might be fun. Or I know I should be doing that thing, but it looks hard. I don't want any part of that. Sometimes the mistakes happen and they're not even ours, and we just have to deal with them, the consequences of other people's mistakes. And what I want to talk about this morning is what can we do to redeem those moments? What can we do to to bring back ourselves from those regrets? And, And as always here at Venture Church, we like to look to the Bible 
for the answers to life's most important questions. So we're going to take a look today and we're going to see how God can turn our mistakes, our regrets, into happy little accidents. To do that this morning, I want to take a look at a story that, that may or may not be familiar to you. It's in the book of Ruth, which is the, the eighth book in from the, the beginning of your Bible in the Old Testament, if I counted right. Um, and it's a, it's a fantastic story, but if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the floor under some of the chairs. You can grab one of those. And if you don't have an easy-to-read version of the Bible at home, feel free to take one of those home with you because we think that's important. We want you to have that and the ability to get into God's Word, and it makes sense, and it'd be easy. Uh, you can also pull it up on your phone. There's some really great apps for that. Or we'll have the, the words up on the screen as well. Through this series for the last couple of weeks, Chris has been talking about this idea of starting over. The idea of making it where we can live beyond our regrets. That we can get past them and we can see exactly what we need to do and where we need to go. But he said there's some steps that we have to take. Uh, the first thing we have to do to be able to live beyond our regrets is to recognize that we have regrets. We've got to look in ourselves and see, you know what, I messed up. Now we have to admit that there's a problem before we can start to solve it. The biblical word for this idea is repentance. It's that change in mind that leads to a change in action. It's changing what's going on in your life. It's owning your mistakes. Once we've done that, we can move on to the next step, which is releasing our regret. And I love this idea uh, because it's got to be let go. And we've got to understand that there's nothing we can do to change the past. I think Chris said it this way a couple weeks ago, to have hope for a better tomorrow, we have to release our hope for a better yesterday. And that's so beautiful and profound. But there's one more step. There's one more thing that we have to do in this healing process. If we recognize our regret and we release it, that's all well and good. But if we don't move beyond it, if we don't go a little one step further to that part of redemption, where we allow God to redeem our regret, where we allow him to come in and pull something beautiful out of the mess that we made, then we're still just going to be struggling and floundering. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Here's this story. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephraites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went to Moab and lived there. It's a good enough story so far, right? You know, they, they made a plan. Elimelech was a good provider, a good dad. He said, there's no food here, so let's go over here because there's food there and we'll live and we'll be happy and peaceful. And, you know, if you know how these stories go, you, you're sitting here going, all right, well, there's apparently a happy little accident waiting to happen. And, brother, you ain't wrong. There, there's something coming up because if we get right into the next verse... The very next verse, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. So Elimelech dies. Dad dies. The provider has died. But it's okay because the boys got married. But they married foreigners. And that wasn't something that the, the Hebrews wanted to do. They wanted to, to stay with their own people, with their own clan. And so there was a, an up and down. And so Naomi, you can see there's things starting to happen in her life that are just hit after hit 
that are going to start tearing her down. Because if we continue reading verse 4, it says, After they've lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, we're not told, it's not explained to us. Nobody tells us this is how they died. It was this tragic accident. It was just bad thing. But we can know without a doubt that this was a tragedy for Naomi. This was something that was deep, not just because she had lost her husband, not just because she had lost her sons, but because she had lost the men in her life. You see, at this point in ancient history, women didn't really work outside the house. They weren't really even allowed to. They were just to stay at home and the men would go out and provide and bring back food and wealth and sustenance and all the things that you needed to live. And so when Elimelech and Malon and Kilion die, it basically leaves Naomi and those two girls just up a creek. There's nothing for them to do. They, they don't have anywhere to go. So Naomi's trying to figure out what's going on, and she hears that back in Bethlehem, that prosperity is blooming again. The famine is over. Things are going well there. So she goes, I'm going to go back home. I've got family there. I've got cousins. I've got aunts and uncles. It's going to be fine. I'll go back home. But she tells the girls, she's like, girls, my, my sons are dead. Your husbands are dead. Just go back to your own families. Go back to them. You don't have to come with me. Thanks for all you did. Uh, we'll see you later. But the girls are like, no, no, we want to stay with you. We want to, to be part of you. We, we chose to join your family. And so Naomi makes this, this poignant speech. And it's in verse 11 of chapter 1. She says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could be your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait for them to grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi is recognizing her regrets. She's looking at the world and seeing there's not a lot of hope and she doesn't want to pour that out onto these girls. So she says, please just, just go home. And, and Orpah, the, the one daughter says, that's a good point. I'm going to do that. I will go home. See you later. So long and thanks for all the fish. You know, I, that kind of thing. They, they just kept going. But Ruth says, no, no, no. I, I don't want to do that. Now, there, there's some stuff in there about waiting for sons to grow up. And, and it's really important to the story of Ruth. So I'm going to touch on it for just a second. Basically, the Jewish people had come up with a system for protecting widows and protecting the property of, of the people that were there. And so what would happen is when your husband died, if you hadn't had any children, if you hadn't had any sons that could come up and take care of you, then you would marry your husband's brother so that he could try to have sons and carry on his brother's name and carry on his brother's birthright. And if there wasn't there, then another kinsman redeemer would, would show up and would offer themselves to sacrifice and on that sword for you to, to protect you and to, to save you and to heal you. And Naomi's saying there's not really a chance of that because she's old and she's not going to have any more kids. And so Ruth, though, says, well, this is what she says. Verse 16, she says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be your, my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. 
She says, no, Naomi, I, I love you. I want to go with you. I want to take care of you. I want to be what your sons can't be right now. So I'm coming with you. I'm not even going to ask for a raise of hands of how many people would do that for their mother-in-law. I'm just saying, I love my mother-in-law. I think she's great, but that ain't a, a hoe I'm trying to get behind. Uh, well, that didn't come out right. Uh, I was thinking about a plow, a plow, a plow I want to get behind. Oh, I'm going to take a second and going to remind my mother-in-law not to listen to the podcast. <laughs> so anyway, Naomi and Ruth, <laughs> they head to Bethlehem. They, they pack up and they go. And one of my favorite moments in the whole book of Ruth happens when they get back to town. Because they get back to town and uh, verse 19, this is what's going on. The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up to see them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? They're super excited to see her. They're like, yes, Naomi's back. And this is what Naomi says. Don't call me Naomi. She told them, she said, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, I don't know if you catch what's going on here. It takes a little bit of word study, a baby name book maybe to see what's happening. You see, the name Naomi means sweetness and pleasantness. It's a happy name. And Naomi wasn't feeling any of that. She had just lost her sons and her husband. She was in this pit of despair, this place of, of poverty and destitution. And she doesn't know what's going on. She said, don't even call me that. Call me Mara, which is the Hebrew word for bitterness. She says, call me that instead. Have you ever been there? So full of regret and worry and sadness and pain that you just wanted to change your name. That you just wanted to change your whole life. Maybe, maybe it wasn't something that you told other people. Like you didn't go around saying, hey, everybody just call me upset from now on because that's what I'm going to be. You know, just call me depressed. I, maybe you didn't do that, but I bet you called yourself different names. I mean, if you're anything like me, full of them, you know, numbskull, dummy, idiot worthless, loser, failure, piece of trash. What are you thinking? We've been there, right? Saying, I'm so upset, I can't even take it. And it happens because this world is, is messed up. This world is hard. Living in this world is hard. It doesn't even have to be things that you've done, just things that are happening to you. Because there's lots of stuff in this world that we wish was just make-believe. But unfortunately, drunk drivers are real. There really are liars and cheaters and abusers and neglectors out there. We can't even turn on the news at night and see something that's not going to break our heart or attempt to. And it's hard to look at this kind of stuff and say, oh, that's just a happy little accident waiting to happen. It's hard to look at it and think, oh, there's going to be something good that comes from that. And that's where Naomi and Ruth are right now. They're in the middle of that moment, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the despair. If you read on through the book of Ruth, you see that they're so poor that the only way that they can get food is for Ruth to go out behind the harvesters, the professional harvesters, the paid harvesters, and hope that they left something on the stalk. Hope that they left something in the field that she could pick up, that she could glean, that she could have to take back to her mother-in-law so that they could eat. 
This is basically like hanging out in Food Lion, hoping that something falls out of somebody's cart and you can run out and grab it before they do. They were in a bad place. It doesn't even really look like there's a chance for a better life for them. They've hit rock bottom. We've all been there, right? I know in my life, I can think of moments after moments. I told Chris last night, I was talking to him, I was like, I can't even think of any moments I was hit rock bottom. And then after we got off the phone, I, like, they just flooded me. Moments when I thought it was the end. Uh, there was one summer in college that me and a couple of guys went and rented a house. Uh, no, well, rented some rooms in a house down at the Outer Banks. We were living at the beach, living it up, you know, 18, 19 years old. It's fantastic. I was working at the putt-putt place that I drove the train around the thing and let the people off at the first hole and then picked them up. I mean, it was beautiful. It was a killer job. I got to play all the putt-putt I wanted. Um, and I got decently good at one hole. Uh, but, but I was having this great time. Everything's going well. And then three days changed it all. I'm driving to work one day and uh, something jumps out of the back of a truck in front of me and I run over it and it blows my tire out. So I got to buy a new tire. So I, I get the spare on. I do all that. And by the time I get to work, something else has happened and I'm already upset and I get an altercation. You know, like not a fight, not a, like somebody's doing something stupid and I say that they're doing something stupid, but it was the boss's son. So I get fired and I get home and I'm there. And like the next day, uh, the son of the couple that we're renting the room from shows up and is like, hey, you guys can't live here anymore. I know that you're paying mom and dad, but you're causing too much stress and you can't live here anymore. You got to go. So in three days time, I went from living at the beach, having a cool job, driving a train for a putt-putt place, my car working like it's supposed to, to all of that gone. I'm homeless now. Don't have anywhere to go. I mean, I could have gone home, but nobody wants to do that. And so I was in this place of like, what in the world am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to even continue functioning? And I'm sure you can relate. You've got your own story. Some of them are deeper and darker than that. I got those too, but we understand that moment of rock bottom. You know, but today I want to talk about something different. I want to talk about redemption. Do you know what that means to redeem? Uh, the dictionary defines it this way. It says redemption is to buy back. To redeem is to buy back. Think about like a coupon. You know, you, you take the coupon to the store and it says no cash value, but then they give you money for it um, or take money away, don't charge as much. You know, that's that idea of redemption. It's, it's coming in and saying, I'm going to take this thing away from you and I'm going to pay full price for it. I, I'm going to take this thing away from you and I'm going to buy it back. And that's what God wants to do with our regrets. He wants to buy them back. He wants to switch them up. He wants to make something beautiful out of them. I think my wife calls that upcycling. Uh, and God is the master of it, of taking something that's broken and busted and nasty and failing and turning it into something amazing and beautiful. And that's what he does for Ruth and Naomi. Continue on with their story. Naomi's out in the field and she's harvesting those bits of grain and Boaz enters the picture. Boaz, a relative of Elimelech, who finds out who she is and what she's doing for Naomi. And he starts to do everything he can to help him out. Like he goes so far as he tells his workers, he says, leave extra stuff in the field for her to find so that she can feel like she's really accomplishing something. 
And that happens for a little while. And he says, hey, you know what? Come eat lunch with me. And after lunch, he sends her back with ephahs of grain. I don't know how much that is, but it sounds like a lot. So we'll go with it. And she takes that back. And Naomi's like, this is amazing. Who did this? She's like, it was Boaz. And Naomi says, ooh, Boaz is family. He could be our kinsman redeemer. And they start this, this whole story. And they, they go. And, and the best thing that Boaz does overall is he pulls them out of that poorhouse. He accepts that role as kinsman redeemer. He, he marries Ruth and has children with her and brings Naomi and Ruth to redemption. And there's really cool things that happens because of that. A couple of weeks ago, Chris talked about King David and how great he was and how noble he was and how memorable he was and how he messed up. But he was still one of the greatest kings that Israel had. King David is Ruth's grandson or great-grandson because of Boaz. Because she married into that, they came from the poorhouse to the house of David, to the most famous lineage in the entire scripture. The great-grandmother of the king. Wow. You know what's even cooler about that? As you follow through the line of David, it culminates in two people, Mary and Joseph, and the son that God brings into this world through them, well, through Mary, and Joseph helps out and raises him, but Jesus Christ in his earthly form. Naomi and Ruth get to become part of that line part of that story, part of that lineage, God comes in and completely redeems them. Now, even at that time, I don't think I'm ready to say that their losses can be counted as happy accidents. I think they were still hard. I think they were still rough. But I do know that God can still make something beautiful with them. God can make them part of the most famous family that's ever lived. But here's what I want you to know. Redemption isn't going to look the same for everybody. Redemption for Naomi and for Ruth meant a new marriage and a new family and a new life. Redemption for you might look completely different. It all boils down to what your, your regrets are and what your sins are and what your life is and what God's plan for your life is. All these factors in and God paints different pictures with your happy accidents. So I want to paint for you a couple of different ideas of what redemption can look like. Maybe because of your regrets, you've walked away from the faith. You, you don't really know if you believe that God is God or, or what you believe about him. You don't really know if he's, if he's still the most powerful being, if he's the creator. You, you don't know how you feel. Maybe you've never known. Maybe you're still on that fence of going, I don't know what to believe. For you, redemption might just simply look like coming to a realization that God is good and that he loves you. Coming to the realization that, that God is the right way and the right path. Maybe that's your redemption. And if that is you and you're here right now, whatever it was that got you out of bed this morning, whatever it was that got you in the seat, I want to let you know I'm super excited that you're here. Like seriously, I am proud of you for taking that step. And I'm glad to be part of that journey as you're trying to find your way to God or back to God.
And I want to encourage you, make that, make that choice again. Come back next week. Come back uh, one more time and see what God has in store. So maybe that's what redemption looks like for you. Maybe that you didn't go that far. Maybe you've not lost faith in God. You've just lost faith in yourself. You've lost faith in your ability to, to worship. You've lost faith in your ability to pray. And, and for you, redemption is going to look like spiritual growth, getting closer to God, getting better in your walk with him. Because you look at your failures, you look at your sins, and it, instead of it dragging you down, you let it spur you on to want to do better, to want to be more and more holy. For others of us, redemption might just look like rescheduling. We think we've got it all lined out, all laid out, ready to go. We know exactly what to do, and the timing is perfect, but then something comes in. A mistake, an accident, a mess up, a regret comes in, and it changes that whole plan. But when you get on the backside of it, you realize that God really knows best, and his timing really is so much better than ours. Because if you'd have tried it then, it would have failed. But now... It's working out beautifully. Maybe it's not so much rescheduling as redirection that brings you redemption. You're on a path in life that you think is great, and then that one mess up, that one big problem, that one big thing gets in your way, and you've got to find a way around it. And doing so, it changes your whole path of life. That later you look back and you see, if I'd have gone that way, it would have ended badly. If I'd have kept on that path, if I'd have kept drinking, if I'd have kept doing drugs, if I'd have kept going down this direction, my life wouldn't be as good as it is now. And you see that as your redemption. And then every once in a while, God gives out the chocolate cookie style redemption. You know, every once in a while, you, you get to outlast your bitterness and outlast your pain. And, and what you see are God's unlimited, beautiful, wonderful blessings poured out in your life. Even while you're sitting there going, but God, I'm still messing up. God, I'm still failing. I'm still awful and horrible. And he's like, ah, here, have this beautiful, wonderful thing because I love you. Or maybe even better than that, God uses your mistakes to bless other people. God allows you to teach and to share and to grow and to help other people see that there is the ability to start over. There is life beyond regrets and that we can move towards that. But really, these are just some of the pictures that God can paint to bring redemption from our regret. Some of the multitude of ways that he can buy back our mistakes and upcycle them. We just have to be brave enough to allow him access to the canvas of our lives. You know, Bob Ross, when he paints, knows exactly what he's doing. He, he knows what's going on because he's done it before. He knows what the picture is going to look like before he ever started. He's already got a plan in mind. And as those happy little accidents happen, he's able to work them into the picture because he knows what's going on. And as he teaches those television students of his, He's able to guide them through their accidents to make something that I would say is beautiful. Something worth having, something worth seeing. 
I don't know what regrets you have in your life right now. I don't know if they're big, soul-crushing, heavy regrets that make you hard to get up in the morning, that make it hard to breathe. Or if it's just something simple that you know you've just got to get beyond. But I do want you to know that there's hope. You can start over. You can move beyond your regrets if you can just recognize that they're there. Release them and the hope for a better past. And then allow God to come in and buy them back. So that he can make something beautiful out of them. You can start over. But if you're here right now and you're in the middle of that deepest, darkest part of your regret, I want you to know that there's hope. I want to leave you with, with this thought. It's from the book of Lamentations. Chapter 3, verse 19 and following. It says this. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Let me say that again. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much that you bring us life. I thank you so much that your love is relentless. That you want to come in and buy back our mistakes. That you want to come in and buy back our regrets and make something beautiful out of them. Help us to know that while there is pain, there is still hope because you are God and because you are good. So in your name we pray. Amen.